Throughout my adult life, my focus has been on making the world a more beautiful place. Initially, I pursued this goal as a hairstylist, working on the external appearance of individuals to make them feel more beautiful. However, I wanted more, so I began to shift my focus to helping people make better choices and achieve greater beauty from within. As a transformational life coach, I specialize in helping you identify and change the limiting beliefs that may be holding you back. Join me each week as we discuss, interview, teach, and explore the fundamental principles of healthy relationships. Welcome to Conscious Conversations with Louisa. In today's episode of Conscious Conversations with Louisa, I'm speaking with Michael DeSanti. Hello, everyone. I am Louisa Yovanovitch, and we are here with Michael DeSanti. He is a transformational leader. He was my coach. He is my coach, and he's an author and so much more. I am honored to get to share him with you guys today. Michael, please say hello and tell us who you are and what you do. Hello to you. It's great to see you. And Great to connect with you, and I, I I love what you're up to. It's a great endeavor that you're doing, and I'm a I'm humbled and blessed to be part of it. Uh, Thank I'm, you. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm Michael DeSanti. Like you said, I'm a transformational trainer. You were in you know one or some of my classes, as a matter of fact, and I'm an author of a book, New Man Emerging, and I I'm a, a men's fulfillment coach. That's one on one, and I also have a men's online coaching program, and then I also own a retreat company that takes people in, on adventures throughout development and growth-minded adventures, typically in Montana and Costa Rica. I love looking at the photos when you post them because it literally feels like, is that even real in this world? Where <laughs> is that? And how was he able to capture that moment? I, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. And it's one of the places where pictures don't even do it justice but I do appreciate that. I think that I was having a conversation with someone the other day around how this is my experience, but how nature and being in, in beautiful landscapes and in nature really helps recalibrate our entire system. I think we were so hooked to screens and phones and calls and deadlines that it, it starts to wear on our psyche a little bit. But when we spend a lot of time out in nature, out in wilderness, it recalibrates us, I think, to a more of our natural setting. So every 90 days I try to get out, my wife and I get out to some national park or some adventure in, in nature. I love seeing you and your wife together. I'm a total mushball when it comes to loving relationships because, you know, I'm having 17 thoughts at the same time. Because of you, I actually have this experience of what is possible in the world because mm -hmm. I remember walking up to you and asking you a question about your family. And the feedback you gave me was, if you see that person as they are, they will continue showing up that way. And I walked away saying, Michael DeSanti told me to believe in the tooth fairy. <laughs> yep, I remember. And it felt crazy to me that, you know, of course somebody is who they are. This is how I've seen them for 17 years and this is who they are. But for that weekend, I took on that, the tooth fairy was real and that I was going to act as if something you were saying actually could be possible. And that weekend was the first weekend of my life that I got to create 
and step into something that was 100% different than what I had already known. So seeing your relationship does that for me too, because I'm like, there's magic. There's people who love each other like that. This is magical. Yeah, it is true. I remember that question you asked me in between a break, everyone was going outside and you asked me a question and I gave you my answer and you looked at me like exactly that. You, you tell me to believe in the tooth fairy. I said, try it on, prove me wrong. But it, we do it so often. I, I was telling you, I remember this has got to be almost a year ago, mm-hmm. but I, I, was, I was telling you that what we tend to do as human beings is we tend to characterize, meaning the way someone has shown up in, the, in history and in the past that's how I always see them. But to the degree that we characterize people or like put them in a box, that's the only way they could really show up to us based on our own perception. So even if they act outside of that box, we won't even see it. Absolutely. And you know what else was huge for me that I didn't have to make it wrong or bad about who they are or about me. It just meant Because I kept thinking, well, if I see them at the way that I would like to see them, then the relationship will be spectacular because I'm seeing them as extraordinary. And that doesn't even matter because I got to just come from a place of everything is neutral and 100% perfect as it is. It doesn't have to be any different. Hmm. That was comforting. Yes, because, you know, there's events in life and in phenomenon and consciousness that are happening all the time. And then we subscribe or ascribe our judgments and meanings to them. And the moment we do, we form conclusions and then we get over-focused on the conclusion that we made rather than simply, oh, events are happening. I determine what they mean for me. And if I'm the one that determines what it means for me, I might as well make it mean something that's valuable. Absolutely. And I've had the pleasure, your brother was my part one coach, and I got to hear a little bit about your family growing up. And I thought, how is it that my judgment would have been if you're not raised in an extraordinary, loving, compassionate, blissful family, that two men being wonderful husbands was not coming out of that. And Mm. so watching the two of you be extraordinary men and to be wonderful husbands just blew my story on that one too. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah environment plays a role and it doesn't it doesn't mean everything it doesn't determine or predetermine everything i think what my brother and i and my uh, we have another brother as well but what we really all share in common is a commitment to growth a commitment to constantly commitment to excellence and growth and personal growth and constantly taking our lives and ourselves to the next level. And we've had to overcome a lot of adversities and a lot of, you know, challenges growing up, but you would think, oh, you know, this amazing upbringing will lead to amazing people and horrible upbringings will lead to horrible people. (laughs) That's just not the case. Right. I mean, you guys are true testaments of that. And I, it's extraordinary to see and experience and seeing who you are as a human being, And what you've been able to accomplish and seeing both of you as husbands is just heartwarming to know that you can, you can create the life of your dreams and impact an entire world with your way of being just by choosing it. It's that, it's that simple. And I don't think anyone would say it's easy. No, (laughs) no, I, I, 
I've learned from a lot of mistakes. I've learned from watching my parents make mistakes. I've learned from my own personal mistakes and watching people that I care about make mistakes. And then, you know, recalibrating and learning and growing and trying on something new. And rather than get stuck with this is the way that it has to be, because there's a lot of points in my history where me saying the way that it has to be just wasn't working. And so it took a lot of commitment and growth to, you know, try on some new possibilities. But that takes courage as well. What was the huge turning point for you? What was the moment of this is what my life is? This is what the cards I was dealt. And what were you able to access from that moment? I think, you know, for me, I've had uh, several key moments in life where they really impacted the way that I perceive and also the way that I choose to live. I think growing up, you know, my parents going through a divorce and then shortly after my mother getting cancer as a single mom and we were losing our home and we were just going through all this adversity. I remember thinking like, wow, life is just piling it on right now. And I think I was you know, 16 or 17 at the time. And those adversities, you know, built resilience in me. And then later on in life, I, I noticed when I first, I was married years ago, and I noticed that I was unconsciously repeating a lot of my parents' patterns of how relationships you know, are supposed to be or should be or how they looked. Mm-hmm. And I was not getting the results that I wanted at all. I wasn't who I wanted to be in that either. And then in that same year of you know, getting a divorce or going through a divorce personally, my father passed away. And so I, I noticed that there was these points in my life where it made me filter all the things that I was doing that my, I wasn't passionate about, I wasn't fully vested in. And I started to filter out, especially with my father dying, that how short life was, how brief it is, and that I really get to create something, a life that's deliberate and purposeful and meaningful and deep for me. And that doesn't need to look like everyone else's life. But I, I knew that if I didn't do that, I was going to crush my spirit. And so I spent a few years just letting go of anything that I, that was out of alignment for me. And then also building, creating and, and giving or contributing things that really did inspire me that I thought I could make a, an impact or a dented infinity with doing. So that's, uh, those were some key moments in my life that really had me take an honest reflection of, of myself and how I was living and where my life was trending. And right. if it wasn't trending to where I really desired it to be, it was, it was time for me to take an honest audit of it. What does a day look like for you? Because I know that they say success leaves clues. So I have been asking everybody what their days look like, because I know that there is common denominators in this that are huge takeaways for people. Oh, it's a great question because I, I, I totally agree with you. Success leaves clues. I'm not a fan of reinventing the wheel if something was working and making things more complicated than they need to be. So over time, I'd say over the last 10 years, I've really designed the life that I really want and I've always wanted. So now my life is pretty simple, which is by design, but I, I wake up every morning the first thing I ever say or think is thank you. So that's my first conscious thought is thank you. And then my wife puts her head on my chest and we 
we spent some time together and then our little our little dog who's taking a nap over here she comes up in between us and that's how we start our morning every morning and then then my wife makes coffee i take the dog out we sit we spend time together in the morning with coffee and then i i like i said i love being outside so i go outside and i reflect on my day and i i say thank you and i i do my gratitude prayers outside and then i come back inside i start my day and i usually work about three or four hours a day that's individual clients or groups that i coach and i exercise every day spend time outside every day and then i make dinner for my wife every night and once she's home i put the phone away i am in love with your life that <laughs> is explore that is the life i dream of yeah. You know, and I, and I always say this to clients, forgive me for interrupting you. I always say this to you is if you were to isolate it, you know, moment to moment on its own, it's not really all that mind blowing. But when I put it all together, I'm like, wow, pinch me. I can't believe this is my life. I remember actually you saying that in the course, like, how could we ask for more? And I, that has stuck with me because I do love my life. I, I get to wake up, I get to have my gratitude, I get to have my coffee and I get to, I mean, for right now, I'd love the, the man to have hit my head on his chest too, but that's not manifested just yet, but it will because the truth fairy is real and <laughs> <laughs> it will, but I love the feeling and the energy of my own life having mm. that experience without being 100% complete yet. Like it's great that I cherish what I do have. Yeah, and I, I think that's incredibly important because contextually, the place that we create from, I think Stephen Covey said it, be grateful for what you have while in the pursuit of what you desire. Yeah. But I think the, the, the component of that is be grateful and thankful for all that you have or all that already is because that makes a, a foundation worth building upon. And I, I say that in one of the courses that I teach, my wife and I would say it all the time, how dare I ask for more? And yet more keeps coming. Right. But I think it's because we create from a place that is thankful and grateful and abundant. And then we build consciously on top of that. And here's the other thing. We also say no to things that are out of alignment to it too. And I think that's very important for people to understand is that abundance isn't just saying yes to everything and now you're just filling your day, you know, 24 hours a day with new things. It's actually about being discerning, deliberate, conscious, saying yes to what aligns to your principles and your values and your visions and your creations, and also saying no to the things that that are out of alignment with that or that actually distract, seduce, or even rob you of that creative energy. So there is that balance and harmony of the two. That was a huge nugget. That is absolutely huge. And you know, what I have found of saying yes and no is when we're doing the work, it doesn't seem like difficult effort anymore to figure out which one is a yes and which one yeah. is a no. Before I would look, if I was having a conversation with you, I would look at your expression to as I'm telling you something to see if like, this is okay or not. I now yeah. know what's okay for me or not. I yes. don't need to wait to see if someone else accepts this is working or not. And that Perfect. was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the more and more we get 
connected to and in touch with our own authenticity, our own genuineness, our own vision, our own principles, our own values, it makes it a very easy filter of what you say yes to and what you say no to. Because there's people that come to me all the time with you know, business ideas or new endeavors. And I actually may even say, I love it. It sounds great. I totally support it. And I'm still a no. Because there's, I, I, I have other things that are in motion or sometimes I say yes, but not right now. People forget that too. That's okay to say as well. I love it. Yes, but not right now until all of this comes to fruition. That's it's also really important. Huge, huge, huge. I, I, I hope everyone's sitting and getting these unbelievable moments of each and every little step. And conscious awareness of this creates where you get to even know your own yes and no. I mean, I just didn't know it. I really did come into this work not knowing it for myself. And it really does. It shows up when we're doing the work. And I'm so grateful to what you do. How did you end up being a transformational leader? I, jeez, I, when I first, I've always been interested in personal development and, and growth and you know, human potential. I've, as long as I've, I remember, I've been very, very interested and passionate about it. And then, like I said, when I was going through, so I was always like the book nerd. I'd always read about it. I always spent all this time. And I was like 14 years old reading like the Tao Te Ching and the Bible and all these deep spiritual texts. My mother at the time, like I, I think back on it now, thank God my mother was like, yeah, just have at it, whatever you want to do. And but then later in life, I told you before, you know, as I was going through a divorce, my father passed away and you know, life was, I was in a challenging moment. And my brother, who is your transformational trainer, he and my mother enrolled me into that work. And when I did it, I, so much clicked for me. And then my trainer had said, you know, I had shared a few times during our, our, our workshops and things like that. And my trainer, who became my mentor, it said, if you want, you could do this work. And I remember saying to him, I said, I'm flattered, but I don't like public speaking. I don't like being in the, the center of attention. And, and yet I saw the power and the potential. And so it had me really get over my fear of public speaking, my fear of, you know, being the center of attention or in the spotlight. And so, because I saw the potential and the power of it, and the more and more I got involved in it, the more and more clarity I gained. And then that I eventually I said, like, this is, this is what I want to dedicate my life to, to really inspiring people and empowering people to live a life that they deserve and desire. But it was a long road and it, it took a lot of courage on my part. But I, now that I look back on it, I think, how did I ever live any other way? You know, you are so, such a natural at it that I, if you had not shared the, the, experience of not being comfortable in the beginning, I would just think, Oh, my God, this is like, it's in his bones, it's in his blood. It's who he is, how could he not? And I love when you do share that, because it does for any for myself, anything that was not my natural state, and just was like, Oh, this is going to be easy. I've got this. <laughs> I mean, even in recording these each and every single one, I have had growth and I have had experiences that I've gotten to take to the next one. And it has not been perfect. Right. But I get to show up and I look at you and I'm like, it, 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 you get to make a difference in so many people's lives. And it's so inspiring. 
and you made a huge difference in mine. I, I just cherish the, the work that you do. And how did your book come about? Where did that come from? Wow. You know, I had, <laughs> I had one of my favorite authors is a, an author, Neil Donald Walsh. He wrote a book called Conversations with God. And I, I read his books growing up. They made a big impact on my worldview. And I gave that book to my now wife years ago. And she had found that you could get, he could be our coach. So he was actually our coach for a little bit. And I remember right before we started coaching with him, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had just some inspiration and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I went into my office and I started writing a little bit, went back to bed. The next night it happened again. And then the next night it happened again. And so my wife in the morning was like, why do you keep going into the office in the middle of the night? And I said, I don't know, but these words are coming to me. And I read it to her, what had come to me. And she said, you need to write a book. And my first reaction was like, I'm not writing a book. I'm too busy to write a book. And then that night we went to visit my mother and I, and she said, read your mother what you wrote the last three nights. And I read it. And my mother said, you need to write a book. And I said, I, I, it wasn't really in my spectrum at the time. And then I went home and my wife really said, you've got to put this into a book. And I said, okay, I'll write this in a book or I'll write a book. And then, you know, I'll, when I'm inspired, I'll just get up and write. So I just figured it would be this like middle of the night, you know, inspirational book. The moment I said that all the inspiration <laughs> dried up and I had to actually sit every morning and see what came. And I, and so it became more of a disciplined practice. And I mentioned Neil Donald Walsh because he was my coach at the time. And he said, Oh, you're writing a book. When are you going to be finished with it by? And for some reason I threw out October 1st. He said, great. First rule of writing a book, create a deadline. Second rule of writing a book, keep the deadline. And he made me a deal. He said, if you, if you finish it by the deadline and send it to me, if I'll read it. And if I think it's, a powerful book. I'll send it to my publisher. And my wife and I were on the phone together and she's like hitting me saying, is this happening right now? And I said, I have no idea what's going on right now. But then I realized I said, well, now that I said October 1st, I should have said January. <laughs> I said, I said, now that I, I gave my word to it, I will sit every day and have it happen. And right around the halfway point, there was a momentum that came and I said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen. And and that's how the book came about. Your book is extraordinary, by the way. I love it. And I love who you are. And I, you know, I remember being in class with you and you asked somebody what their vision was about their plan. And, they, and then you said, well, how are you going to make that happen? And they said, I'm going to meditate. I'm in a journal. And, I, and then you said, great. And I'm like, wait, that's a thing? That counts as doing something? Excellent. Because I love doing that. And if that's a thing, I'm doing it. Because I... All of a sudden, the things that I wanted became, I, I would go do my workouts every morning. I would meditate and I would journal. And I remember when we were during COVID and I would, you know, we get to all share together. And somebody said to me, I invite you to share on a larger scale. Like, I, I love what you say and just say it to more people. And all of a sudden I put a, a group together where we would journal and meditate every day. So from March to September, Every solitary day, we would do journaling and meditation, and I would host this. And I literally went from 
I'm not quite sure what I'm meant to do to leading this path. And it just, and it really was when you said, oh, that's, that's great. You're, that's a, where you start. And I'm like, I love that. That's a thing. And if someone has no idea, and if someone has an idea, that is the thing. It, it, it kept, it became the glue. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily what you do, but how you do it. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of mechanics. I do this, I do this, I do this. As long as it's deliberate, as long as I'm doing, as long as we're doing that deliberately and consciously, there's, there's creativity and growth to it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't guarantee anything, but what it does is it says, I have this intention. Deliberately, I'm going to journal every day. I'm going to meditate every day. For me with the book, it was, I'm going to sit in front of the computer at this time every day for this amount of time. So as long as that deliberateness is there, it creates that growth that comes with consistency of commitment. Absolutely. And that becomes really where we gain the most traction in our lives or in our creations. Because without that deliberateness, everything becomes monotonous, routine, boring. I do it or I do it unconsciously. So what? When you add that deliberateness and that consciousness to it, it, it gives it potency Absolutely. Now that's what gains the traction for us. I have some really amazing clients and I love watching their lives because, you know, for 23 years, I've been a hairdresser and sometimes I, I'm really standing behind someone's head three times a week doing their hair and watching their life. And this lady was amazing because she would squeegee her shower every time she took a shower. And I thought, you know, I think that's part of the discipline that she has that creates her wealth. Because if she didn't have that, I don't believe it's those tiny little things that created who she is. So when I moved into this house, it was very important to the landlord that I squeegee my shower. And I could have looked at it as like, this is the most annoying thing I've ever done in my life. But I embrace squeegeeing my shower because I look at it as the part of what's going to get me to the wealth I dream of having and as simple as that silly thing is, I totally am committed to squeegeeing my shower. And those are the things that I love, something I would never have wanted to do. I bring so much love into it just because I know it creates more of things to love, even things I don't normally wouldn't say that I would choose. Yeah, it's, you know, and then you were mentioning relationship before. In relationship, the little stuff is the big stuff. It is the, the, you know, the squeegeeing, the shower. In, in finances, the little stuff is the big stuff. There is no prosperity without discipline. There is no health without discipline. There, we want all these big picture ideas and visions, but we've got to put the disciplines and the commitments and the consistencies and the, and the deliberate actions underneath them. Because without it, they just remain a dream. And so, so the little, the little disciplines, the little things, they add up because that's, that's what adds up consistently over time. So when you meet the one and you know, it's the one, how do you, what does that feel like, look like? I mean, I, I love what you're saying about the disciplines, but how do you cherish that relationship? Because it's two complete different human beings. You both come into this with your own agenda of how you would like your life to turn out. And how do you keep that 
fire alive and exciting when you really, you know, I find innately human beings are selfish and we all want what we want. <laughs> yeah, which will come into a friction in relationship for sure. It, so really what's happening is you have two people that clearly have two different worldviews because you have different histories, different experiences, different perceptions. And so how do you make those two worldviews come together and in the friction create growth and in the connection of create, you know, deeper connection or where it's aligned, create deeper connection. So there's, you know, for me, and I can only speak personally, but I, I have what I call four pillars of relationship, four tenets of relationship. And, and one of them is attraction. And attraction isn't necessarily not only physical, but it's a mental, it's emotional, it's intellectual, it's spiritual. It's attraction is what brings us together. What is it that magnetizes us? That needs to be fed. We have to feed what brings us together, what magnetizes us. We've got to give, again, conscious and deliberate action and thought to that. So that needs to be nurtured. One tenant of relationship is attraction. The other tenant for me is communication. Communication is key because in communication, I want to make sure that I'm safe enough to make requests, to have agreements. I also want to make sure that my wife is safe enough to make requests and form agreements and have communication, that we have a, a safe level of communication, that we have, when we make requests, they're honored. If they're honored, they're now agreements. If they're agreements, they're followed through on. So communication is another tenant of relationship that needs to be nurtured and deliberately brought to consciousness. The other is consideration. The third tenant for me is consideration that I live my life, my wife lives her life, but that we choose our lives and that each other are considered in it. That I'm not out here living my life and, and saying, hey, listen, I have all this travel and all these things to do and all this, you know, all these endeavors and all that. You need to be okay with it. And I, I want to make sure that she feels considered in what I'm up to and, and vice versa. Right. And so consideration is key. This is very like, you know, couples run into the, the challenge of like, he leaves the toilet seat up. The toilet seat has nothing to do with it, but not feeling considered does. Right. So consideration is another tenant. And then the fourth tenant of relationship for me is aim, that we actually are aligned and aimed and headed or trending in the same direction. Not that we're always at the same pace, because in any long-term committed relationship, your, your pace is going to change. Sometimes I'll be ahead and my wife will be behind, and sometimes my wife will be ahead, I'll be behind. Pace isn't as crucial as aim. Are we aimed in the same direction? Do we want the same things? Are we up to the same things? Are we trending towards the same things? So as long as you give consciousness to those four tenets of relationship and really give attention to them, it, it nurtures the foundations so that you could really thrive and, and raise connection, deepen connection, and also you know create possibilities that to me, I, I feel like they become endless. Absolutely. I mean, that truly what you shared is magnificent, magical, realistic, no. tangible, all of the, for a moment, it just, it creates a possibility, you know, like you, it can actually be lived into and, and there is a check mark going, oh, I got this. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's a, there, that's really important too, because there's a lot of times when people come to me for coaching and say, 
my relationship is really struggling. And then when we distinguish and break it down, like, actually, my relationship is doing really well. We just need some work on communication. And then when they nurture that communication and understanding, it strengthens the attraction. It makes them want to consider each other more. And then it deepens and strengthens their aim together. So they're all interconnected. You know, so, if, 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 we're, if they're not distinguished, a lot of times people think, oh, my relationship is struggling. When like, well, hold on, let's really like break it down and make it, like you said, tangible and doable and realistic. Now, all of a sudden, we, we know where we could put our attention. So when two people have, not two people, but like everybody has a self-limiting belief, but in a relationship, two people have self-limiting beliefs and you tend to, even if they're identified, there's two self-limiting beliefs and they tend to do this. How does one address, like one person feels the need to be needed, wanted and cherished and being there. The other person is like, I'm not enough. So they're literally the perfect storm. This one wants this, and this one is like, I'm not enough. So it just happens to do this. How yeah. would someone work through that? <laughs> there's, there's, uh, I think you, we've, this, there's an important question because I think it's actually common. And I think what we, you know, as we have commitments to, you know, growth and, and we've got to also distinguish that I think a lot of times people confuse love bonds with trauma bonds. Mm. And so people are, you know, they're, they're overtaken with this emotion. They get almost, what's the word, inebriated and drunk on this, this connection. But it, a lot of times what you start to see is like that actually goes pretty south pretty fast. So it, it really, what we do is we hook each other in these trauma bonds. Like my limiting narrative matches up perfectly to your limiting narrative. And then we come together really, really intensely. But then when one party says like, hold on, this is exhausting. Like, I really want to grow or be authentic and genuine. Now all of a sudden it becomes a threat to that bond. Right. So first we've got to distinguish like, is this an actual genuine heartfelt love connection bond? Or is this like a trauma bond where they feed this insecurity of mine and then I feed this insecurity of theirs? Now we're just hooked. And that becomes a real, that becomes a, an interesting relationship because if it doesn't crash and burn, what ends up happening, it, it becomes not I love you very much, but I trade you very much. You don't touch this wound and I won't touch that wound. And then we, we just end up living in these like barters and trades. And then I, now I'm upset because you, you touched something that I told you not to touch. You know, so that becomes a, a challenging way of operating because it's as intense as they come in is usually as intense as they go out. Wow. Now, huge, Michael. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, so that we've got to distinguish that first. Now, second, after you distinguish that, you say, okay, this is really a love bond that is, we both have commitments. We both, you know, ways that we want to grow and nurture each other, support each other, consider each other. That's part of the tenet of consideration. Then in that, we becomes genuine. I always say that we've got to give people a blueprint on how to love us. Because the way I interpret love and being loved and giving loved is different than the way my wife does. We have two different worldviews, paradigms, blueprints. 
Now what it is for us is a constant practice of giving each other a specific blueprint of how to be loved. So my wife's, the way it looks is different than the way mine looks, but I, it's my role and my job to give my wife the blueprint of how I feel loved. So that's specific requests, agreements, roles, you know, where we're most efficient. And it has to be specific so that the other person knows how to navigate Absolutely. how to love me. I mean, getting to know ourselves is the only way to do that because I actually discovered that my greatest time in the day is in the morning. So I do all of my important things in the morning when I'm the most alert and aware. And I know certain people it's in the evening for them, but for me, it's the morning. And so that, that was something I discovered how to, how I receive love and how I like to be loved and the blueprint for me, I'm still discovering. And it's not something that I just know already. Right. Well, think about this, what you just said, if you're still discovering it, how could you ever expect someone else to know it? Right. So it's actually on me to understand my own self, then to communicate it. Right. And there's, you, I, we too often people in, especially in relationship think it, it's, it's not, I always think of it this way. It's not your job to have people live up to your standard. It's your job to communicate, clearly communicate your standard and then choose how you're in relationship with those, with that person. But you can't, I can never expect anyone to know my blueprint if number one, I'm still discovering it. And number two, I never communicated it. That's an impossibility. And that's where that uh, idea of the fastest way to kill joy and relationships is have expectations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I'm, I'm now unconsciously or sometimes consciously withholding the rules of the game, I'm not going to tell you them, but I will tell you when you break them. And that is a recipe for disaster. Right. Speaking of, I, it, it really made me think of areas where I knew what I didn't want and wasn't sure what I did want. And what I kept getting was more of what I don't want. And right. so recently I did the most beautiful meditation and the most beautiful journaling of what is it that I do want and not what I don't want. And right. As I was writing, it felt so good, so good. And all of a sudden, it came to life what I did want. Right. And that's way, and based on the truth fairy being real, I know I can manifest that. <laughs> well, yeah, because what, what you do there is you're giving a clear blueprint to yourself and to your life. Because if you tell me what, I, what you don't want, I still have no idea what you do want. There's like, un, now as your partner, I now have to go through trial and error to figure out, well, she said she didn't want this. Okay, I know not to do that. But that leaves me with this whole other spectrum of possibility. Now I've got to go through and check off all the ones that she also doesn't want until I get to the one that she does. That's going to be challenging. You know, that's going to take a ton of time. Now you could say, I don't know what I want, but I am in the discovery of that. And I want you to be part of that discovery. Great, let's explore it. Now we form a partnership there. But it's a lot easier to give someone a blueprint of this is what I know of myself. And this is how I clearly communicate it. So I know as your partner, as my wife's partner, I know when I'm navigating on track. I also know if I'm outside of a a boundary. 
Right. So we, we, we want to give each other that clarity. I used to think it was just women who would clone themselves into what a man wanted in order to create, think they were creating a relationship. But I realized both do that. Like men go into it wanting to do the things that they think a woman wants. Women go into it doing what they think a man wants. And then at the end, they're exhausted keeping up something that neither one want to do. Exhausted. Because, it, and here's the thing, they're, they're exhausted. And that clearly says they're exhausted. That doesn't mean it's because of a lack of effort. Mm-hmm. It means it's a lack, lack of effectivity. Mm-hmm. So if you tell me these are the four things that I want, I now know exactly where I can put that effective energy. But if I go and do 20 things that you don't want and I miss the four, I've just spent all this energy and I missed the mark. So over time, I'm like, wait, you're telling me it's this, it requires this much, much energy to be in relationship. That's when most people conclude relationships are too hard. I might as well just be on my own. Right. Well, yeah. If, if I were taking all my money and all my energy and I was throwing it down a well every day, I'd probably get sick of it too. But <laughs> if, if you give me a blueprint and I give you a blueprint and our focused energy and our effective energy is going toward that, then we grow and way faster than we ever would on our own. Absolutely. I, I mean, I honestly could talk to you forever because there's so much that gets unraveled and opened up. You have so much wisdom. I, I cannot wait for people to see this. I used to always say, I cannot, I wish there was a fly on the wall to listen to these conversations, but they're so magnificent and people will get so much out of it. And it's recorded. People do get to hear it. And I cannot wait to hear the feedback of what comes up for everyone as this is shared. Thank you, Michael, so much. I know you have a gift for our audience. Could you please share what it is? There's a, my marketing team just put this together a few, a few weeks ago, and it's, it's a free book offer. And you could go, <clears throat> excuse me, as if you handle the shipping charges. My, my team will ship you new man emerging my book. They'll ship it to you for free. I uh, give it a little bit of time. We'll get the, we'll get the addresses and everything. We'll mail them right out to you. And then yeah. also for the, uh, for the men that are listening or for the, the, the men that are uh, you know, even a d- one or two degrees away of uh, separation here is uh, I have a, my group, find your tribe. I'll, I'll do a free discovery call with them. If any of the men are interested in being part of of the, the upcoming tribes that are, that are happening online now. Wow. I, any, any man, any person in your space grows. I just know that because I have, and I, I know how extraordinary you are and that's a gift and a half. So thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank have you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. This was such an honor. 